0: message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. As a uh, musician, I have played and sang and done concerts and things in pretty much every conceivable venue, everything you can imagine. But the most nerve-wracking Every time I can tell you without a doubt what it is. It's playing and singing for a wedding. Weddings are nerve-wracking because you know that for this couple, this is the one time that they are going to have this ceremony. And if you mess it up, they will remember it forever. So I always get super nervous. And and one of the ways I deal with that is that if I'm singing or playing for a wedding, I'll spend extra time practicing, rehearsing, going over whatever song I'm doing, making sure I've got it right, making sure I I, I know exactly what I'm doing. And that's great. Until you have a circumstance that throws that off. I get asked to sing at a wedding once, and I knew the the groom-to-be, didn't really know the bride-to-be, but the groom-to-be comes to me, he's like, hey, would you sing at our wedding? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to do it. So he gives me this, this is like twelve. Fifteen years ago, he gives me the CD. I had a mix CD, um, <clears throat> and and he goes, "Hey, here's here's a bunch of songs that we're thinking about using in the wedding." Okay, great. I said, "When you're when you know what you want me to sing, let me know." So a couple of weeks later, he he uh, comes talk to me. He says, "Hey, it's it's song number four on that CD." Okay, great. So over the next month or so, I I learned this song and I didn't know it, but I learned it and I figured it out and I had it down. I was ready. So we get to the rehearsal. <clears throat> that the, the night before the wedding and the bride-to-be comes. She says, hey, do you, do you want to run through the song? I'm like, I mean, if you want me to, I can. I said, I, I, I'm, I've worked on it, I'm good. She's like, okay, because, and then she says the name of the song, which was not the song that the groom-to-be <laughs> told me that I was going to be singing. So it's like, oh, you mean this other song? And she just goes like, why? She's like, no. I was like, I know. I lied to her face, <laughs> right? Lied to her face. Because I didn't want to get my friend in trouble. And, and I didn't want to work her up. So I'm trying to justify my, my deception here. <clears throat> but and I'm like, oh, no. No, I'm kidding. I got it. But I had no idea, right? So I go home that night. and On the way from <clears throat> the rehearsal dinner back home, I've the CD in my car. I'm just listening to it on repeat. And I spend, like, two hours after I get home listening to this thing on repeat. And I get up the next morning, and I'm, like, working on it. And, and it worked out. And it worked out just fine, but only because she said something. If she hadn't said anything to me, I would have played the wrong song in the wedding. I would have been totally unprepared for what she wanted me to do. So why do I tell you that story this morning? See, the thing is, if you want to achieve certain results, right? if I wanted to be ready to play the right song, I had to spend time practicing the right song. Practicing the wrong song, even though I thought it was right, practicing, practicing the wrong song didn't get me ready to play the right song at the wedding. See, what we do matters. If we're going to be the church, we have to prepare to be the church. Over the past three weeks, As we've gone through this series, we've looked upward at how gathering together as a church sets our focus on the Lord and sets him at the center of our worship. We've looked inward to see who we are in light of God's calling to be the church. And we've looked outward at how the gathering changes the way we live the rest of our lives in this world. But there's one question that remains for us. And if you remember in the first week, I told you we're going to be talking about four words. We said, Inward, upward, inward, outward, and forward. And so the question today is how do we look forward? How does this gathering, does what we do in this place together, how does this practically prepare us for everything else that we've talked about? Well, as we look at this, we're gonna see how what we do as a gathered church helps to prepare us to engage in our faith, in our relationships, in our work, in our trials, in our world, and in every other aspect of our lives. And the first area we're gonna see this in is that gathering prepares us with truth. Gathering prepares us with truth. Again, I said, we're gonna start in John chapter 18. In John chapter 18, um, we we'll gonna be looking at verses 37 and 38. And this is Jesus on trial. Jesus with Pilate. And if you know some of this interaction, um, Pilate's like, okay, so you're, you're a king, right? These people are saying you're, you're claiming to be a king. And Jesus goes, well, my, my kingdom's not of this world. Pilate goes, wait, what? What are you talking about? And verse 37 Pilate says, so so you are a king then, right? You have a kingdom, it's not of this world, but but that makes you a king, right? And it continues, you say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this, and I've come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And many of you know what Pilate's response to this statement is gonna be. But I think sometimes we read this statement with some confidence in Pilate's voice, and I don't think that's there. I think Pilate's response is one of desperation, exasperation, because he responds to Jesus and he says, what is truth? Jesus says, I have come because I am the truth, and those who know the truth, those who are of the truth, they listen to me. And Pilate's like, "I I got nothing to do. Like, I don't know how to even respond to that. What is truth? Now, Pilate wasn't with Jesus the night before. As Jesus spent that final night with his disciples. And if you go back into chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus is praying. In verse 17, he prays, Father, sanctify them by what? The truth. And then he says this, your word is Truth. Pilate says, what is truth? Jesus knows. This is the truth. The Lord is truth. The word of God is truth. I think this is very interesting for us today because I'm sure it's not lost on you, the fact that you live in a culture that still asks Pilate's question. What is is truth? There's a skepticism about truth. Sometimes, Sometimes there's a push to even deny that there is truth at all. But what's really happened is a is culture looks at this because what's, what's truth? Just like Pilate, they continue to ask, what is truth? And just like Pilate, they continue to deny Jesus' answer. The word of the Father is truth. See, as human beings, as human beings, you and I and every other single person on the face of this earth, we instinctively understand that there is truth to be known. Even those who deny there's such thing as objective truth know that there is a truth to be known. That's why they searched for it. But as broken human beings, we instinctively look to ourselves to try to find that truth. And as imperfect human beings, we'll never find it there. This is a problem in the culture in which we live. They're asking, what is truth? And they're looking at themselves saying, well, I gotta figure this out. I'm smart enough. I can can figure this out. And when they don't, they go, well, there must not be truth because I can't figure it out. And if I can't figure it out, nobody can figure it out. But the reality is our failure to find truth in ourselves does not imply its lack of existence. It implies a need for a better source. In our house, there's a game that gets played called hide the remote. No sibling wants another sibling to change the channel while they're out of the room. So the remote gets hidden, which, you know, fine, whatever, right? Until Aaron and I want to sit down and watch something that doesn't have cartoon animals in it. (laughs) Look, we're, we're looking in the couch cushions, we're looking in the cabinets. We're looking in kitchen count, you know, kitchen cabinets because who knows where it wound up. Right? And it, it just like a week and a half ago, we were playing this game. And Aaron and I are finally like, who had it last? Okay, we, we knew which kid. I'm not going to throw them under the bus. We knew which kid had it last. And we called them in. And we said, hey, we need the remote. And then we saw the look. You ever seen the look on the kid's face when they know they're caught? They're like... And they're trying to come up with some way to justify what they did, but they're not quite quick enough yet to come up with it. And so there's just this like, uh, I, don't, I don't want to say. <laughs> just tell us where the remote is. And so they go in the, in the living room and they lift up a pillow and they reach under the couch under a little mat that's there and pull it out. They knew exactly where it was. For Aaron and I, we didn't know where the remote was. doesn't mean the remote didn't exist. It just means we needed a better source to help us find it. We needed a source that knew where it was. Same is true for us in our faith. God's word is true. And if we come to God's word going, I can figure all this out. I don't need anybody's help. I don't need any direction. I can do this all on my own. We will fail to find truth. Not because it doesn't exist, but because we need a better source. As we gather as a church, this is why when we come together on, on, for this hour to 80 minutes on Sunday mornings, what you need, what I need, what we all need is not a rousing motivational speech that makes us feel better about who we are and the sins in our lives. We need a better source. We need the perfect truth of God's word. In in the book of Job, chapter seven, if if you know the story of Job, you know that Job is a a righteous man of God and and he's very wealthy and he's got lots of good stuff going on in his life. And, And Satan comes to tempt him and everything is taken away from Job and he's sitting and he is miserable, understandably so but he's got some good friends who come and sit and are miserable with him to help him feel better. And as they start talking, the friends really challenge Job. And they're like, listen, Job, you're not, what have you done? Right? You know God is faithful. You know God is true. You know God is righteous. He wouldn't punish you for doing nothing. What'd you do wrong? And, and Job takes it for a little bit. But in Job chapter 12, uh, he responds, verse seven through, through 13. And what happens in the first six verses is Job basically looks at his friends. He goes, listen, guys, you guys are super smart. You're really smart guys. You know a lot. You've got a lot of life experience. You know God. So do I. Right? You're not alone in this. I, I know God too. I'm smart too. I've had experiences too. And then in verse seven through 13, he says this, but... Ask the animals and they will instruct you. Ask the birds of the sky and they will tell you. Or speak to the earth and it will instruct you. Let the fish of the sea inform you. Which of these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? The life of every living thing is in his hand as well as the breath of all humanity. Doesn't the ear test words as the palate tastes food? Wisdom is found with the elderly and understanding comes with long life. Wisdom and strength belong to God. Counsel and understanding are his. See, again, what Job is saying is you guys are smart. You know a lot and you know God's word and you know how this works out. That's fine. But realize that you don't know everything. Realize that you don't need me to tell you that you're right about everything because you're not. And neither am I. But God's word is true. With him, him is found wisdom and instruction and counsel and understanding. Only in him and in his word Only in the Lord do we find truth. Again, this is why as a church, our foundational approach to teaching uh, on Sunday mornings is we teach through books of the Bible. We teach through God's word. Yeah, we take times like this where we step out of that for a brief period, but the main course of the feeding of our hearts, our minds, our souls is from the word of God. We teach systematically verse by verse through God's word because we wanna know what God says, what that means, and then how that applies to us. You don't need to know what I think. Most of you probably don't care what I think. That's okay, I'm not offended by that. I know what I think, and I'm not that impressed. (laughs) You don't need to know what I think. What we need is to know what God says. Can you do this on your own? Sure. Can you study the word on your own? See what God says? Yes, and you should. But if we're honest with ourselves, most of us, when we say, okay, I'm going to study, study the Bible, what do we go to? Most of us will go to passages we know, books of the Bible we like, things we already understand. And that, that's not a bad thing. Right? But part of the reason you belong to a church is that we come together and we go places where we wouldn't normally go on our own. That's why we have studied books like Leviticus and Ecclesiastes Books that you may not tend to gravitate to on your own. But we're going to go and we're going to study God's word together. And we need that accountability. Because honestly, I probably wouldn't study the book of Leviticus on my own. You know why I studied the book of Leviticus? Because I had to get up here and tell you what God said. And tell you what I had studied, what I had learned. What God had spoken to me through his word. Right? I need you just as you need every single person sitting around you today. Gathering together prepares us with the, the truth of God's word. And so the question is, when you gather with your church family, do you come to sit come expecting people to do something for you? Or do you come to prepare for the day, the week, the month, the year ahead of you? To encounter God's word and say, God, where are you leading me? How are you calling me to serve? How are you calling me to give? How are you calling me to be a part of your kingdom work? See, gathering prepares us with the truth. Truth. Let's go on. Second, gathering, while it prepares us with truth, gathering prepares us for mission. Gathering prepares us for mission. Romans chapter 12, verse one and two says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as, living sac- as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. For centuries, and and really throughout history, armies and nations have gone into battle, have gone to war with war cries, with battle songs, with simple chants that they would proclaim as an army, as a group of people, as they went into battle. You, you can find this back in ancient Rome. You can find it during the Mongolian Empire. You can find it through U.S. armed forces. There are chants, there are phrases, there are these things that are uttered by the entire group as they go into battle. Why? Because the unity of their voices is a declaration of a unity for the mission ahead. As the group declares their confidence and their boldness, it makes it easier for each individual to maintain his or her confidence, his or her boldness. And the same thing happens in the church. Same thing happens in the church when we sing. This is why we sing as an act of preparation, because it prepares us for the mission. Right? We lift our voices in unity to sing our theology and prepare for the mission ahead. See, singing is more than just us liking a song and proclaiming it because we feel it in the moment. That's, sometimes that's the case. But what singing is truly about is, is what Paul writes in Romans 12. It's about the transforming of our minds with the truth of God's word as it is affirmed by those around us and strengthened within our hearts and our souls and our minds. Right? Getting together to sing, we, we've talked about this before, getting together to sing is a weird thing. It's a weird thing that we do. Right? When's the last time you went to a a, a dinner at somebody's house? Like, well, before we eat, let's all sing some songs. Maybe a few of you have done that. But it's not normal. What we do when we get together and sing is not a normal part of your life. It's something out of the ordinary. And yet Christians and the church have done this together for over 2000 years. So there must be some kind of purpose and some kind of power and some kind of reason for this. And that reason is that singing embeds God's truth in our hearts and minds so that we're ready for the mission ahead. by Tuesday, by tomorrow, by this afternoon, 97% of you won't be able to tell me one of the points that I've preached this morning. Right, you'll know the general idea maybe, but you won't be able to give me the, the word for word what each point was. Friday, you will be taking out the garbage and find yourself singing some song that we sang this morning. Right? That that is, that is common. Why? Because there's a power that happens when we sing that connects the truth we're singing to our hearts, that embeds that truth in us. And that is why we sing together. Because when we come together to sing, It allows us to sing and to to proclaim these truths that we have, these these battle cries. It allows us to to proclaim them in three directions. First, we sing, we proclaim these truths to God. We worship, we praise him. We praise him together. It's a sign of our allegiance that we are seeking one God, one king, one sovereign over our lives. And alongside one another, we proclaim these to God. In Psalm 95, verses one through three, it says, come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord, shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let's enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let's shout triumphantly to him in song. For the Lord is great. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. Come, let us proclaim these truths to God. Declare our allegiance to him together. We we sing to God. Second, we proclaim these truths to ourselves. And we need the truth that we sing drilled into us. The glory, the majesty of God, his gifts, his love, his power. We need that reminder in our lives, don't we? I need that reminder in my life often. When I'm feeling that loss, that that pain, that struggle that this life can bring, and I can know all the truths about God intellectually, but sometimes it's just that song. It is well with my soul. Though <laughs> Satan should buffet, though trials should come, and we sometimes need that singing to ourselves. But here's where this gets so important for us as a gathered body. Yes, we sing to God. Yes, we sing to ourselves. But third, we sing to one another. You realize that as you sit here and sing on a Sunday morning, you're not just singing to God and you're not not just singing these words so that you know them, so that you're saying them. You are singing them to strengthen and embolden one another. Again, have you ever been at a time where other people are singing and you're sitting there and you just, you stop and you just listen. You get the hair on the back of your neck standing up because God's just speaking to you through the voices of your brothers and sisters in Christ that will never happen if you're singing alone in your car. That your brothers and sisters in Christ will be proclaiming that truth over you. And gather so that we can sing to one another. And we sing to one another in these, in these songs and with these messages that are, are set for us, for where we are at as a church body. Right? We don't just randomly pick songs that we're gonna sing on a Sunday morning. We spend time thinking about them, praying over them, saying, God, what's the message you wanna speak this morning? And every song works to, to proclaim this message and this truth with this theme that works through our teaching time, through our scripture reading, through our singing, through our prayers, through everything that else that happens when we gather together. This is uniquely created for us, to engage with our God, to love him, praise him, to encourage one another. Yet this only happens when we are together as a body. See, singing is an important component in worship. Singing together is essential to true worship. Worship. So again, we just say, do we actively engage in the corporate act of worship? And when we do so, do we do so to to have our hearts and the hearts of our brothers and sisters in Christ emboldened for the mission ahead? Gathering prepares us for mission, the lifting of our voices, the praising of our God together as a body. So, gathering prepares us with truth, and gathering prepares us for the mission ahead. One more gathering prepares us in grace. Gathering prepares us in grace. In the book of Acts, chapter 20, we read this in Acts chapter 20, verse 30, 32. It says, and now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. Okay, what's happening here? Well, in Acts 20, Paul is giving his final pep talk as he's on his way to go on trial and to potentially die. He's he's talking to the the church leaders in, in Ephesus And he's he's encouraging them, he's commanding them, he's begging them, he's imploring them to trust in the Lord. And he says, you are to trust in God, this is essential. But he says also, it has to be accompanied by obedience to and through God's grace. He's saying, trust in the Lord, know him, know what God's word has said He says, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. See, I'm giving you over to this. Will you follow? Will you obey? Will you fully give yourself to the Lord? Everything we've talked about in this this series um, has truly been a preparation in God's grace. Everything we have talked about goes back to the grace of God. It's what makes it possible. It's what allows us to see and to follow him in in every conceivable way, whether it's reflecting on on God's majesty, Jesus' sacrifice, and the Holy Spirit's power, whether it's identifying ourselves as a team, as a, a body, as a family, or whether it's gathering to set the standard or our foundation or our vision for the future ahead. All of it teaches us a greater appreciation and a love for God's grace. But in the New Testament, as Jesus begins to build his church, as he commissions his followers to be the church, he gives two unique expressions of that grace, two callings for the church. We call them the ordinances of the church the two things that we are called to do together to reflect on and celebrate his incredible grace. And the two ways that he has called us to do this is communion and baptism. These are unique expressions of God's grace that he has given to his church. Neither one can be rightly done on your own. They need the body of believers to practice them with. Baptism is a reminder of, of God's love, of Jesus' salvation, of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. You go into the water as an expression of the fact that you have died to yourself. You come out resurrected as Christ was resurrected and you stand changed and it's not, a, it's not a matter of your salvation. Baptism is not a requirement of salvation. We're saved by grace through faith, not of any works. But it's this outward expression of the inward change. Right? The, the analogy I always use is my wedding ring, right? I'm, I'm married. Am I no longer married? No, I'm still married. This does not decide whether I'm married or not. This is an outward expression of the commitment that I have made in my life to Aaron so that anybody sees me knows that I have one commitment above everyone else in this world. That kind of commitment in our faith is only possible when we understand God's grace. The fact that he has loved us and given everything for us so that we can know him not because of who we are but because of who he is. So baptism is practiced with the church body as this public declaration of our understanding of God's grace. In a similar way, communion is a, a reminder of God's faithfulness, of Jesus' sacrifice and of the Holy Spirit's power. Right? It's a reflection upon God's covenant with his church that he has promised never to leave us or forsake us. He has promised to give us everything he needs. He has promised that he will deliver us. Not because of who we are, not because of what we can contribute to his kingdom, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. As he lived perfectly and yet died sacrificially, pouring his blood out for the payment of your sin and my sin. Also, that he could rise victoriously, defeating sin and death once and for all. So that we could be delivered to the kingdom, to the family of our perfect Heavenly Father. Communion is that reminder of everything Jesus has done, and it's an expression of our surrender to God's grace because he and he alone saves. In the community of believers, we have these two opportunities where we recall the joy of Christ's victory and the faithfulness of God's promises and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Again, so that we can pour that out to others in the week ahead. So that in every interaction that we have, People look at us and not see our hearts, not see our desires, but they see the grace, the forgiveness, the joy, the hope of Jesus Christ at work in us and through us. Do we gather together? Do we come to the communion table? Do we engage in baptism? Do we celebrate all these things expecting them to be a declaration? of God's grace and a reminder of how we are called to share that grace with those that we come in contact with. One last thing. If you've been with us through this whole series, and I hope you have, if you haven't, you can always go online and catch up on on what you've missed. But you'll notice there's one important strand that runs through this whole series and it's one that sometimes feels offensive to people but it's one that's absolutely necessary for us to remember and the central truth is this the church is not about you the church is not about what you can get what you can take how you can feel how other people can serve you the church is about our father our savior and our helper. The church is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, when we get this wrong is when we become bitter and angry and frustrated and critical and isolated, and we find the church to be simply unbearable. Because the church hasn't done for me what I think the church should do for me. The church hasn't served me the way that I think I should be served. But when we give ourselves to the truth, that this time, this place, this gathering is about our service to our God, we do find joy and hope. And we do find satisfaction. And we do find encouragement. And we do find the help we need. And we do grow and mature in our faith and we are prepared to carry out the divine calling that God has placed on our lives. But we find it not in the, satis- in, the, in the satiation of our wants, but in the satisfying love of God as fulfilled by Jesus Christ and the filling of the Holy Spirit to make us co-heirs with Christ. And so church family, may we not be a people who gather and claim to be a church, but simply act as consumers of information or emotional fulfillment. May we not be a people who come, but live digitally disconnected. May we be a church. May we be a people of transformation. May we be a people that gathering personally in the presence of one another before the throne of the almighty God, and in doing so, may we spur one another on in truth and in mission and in grace so that the world around us would know the love of our God and our King. Not because we're special, but because he has loved us and called us his. Let's pray together. Father God, we, um, we thank you for the fact that we are, are, are called your children. And thank you that you have bought us with the price with the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that we have been washed clean, that we are a part of the body. We are a part of this family, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. And Lord, as we think about the church, as we think about what it means to be a part of your church, to gather with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, may may we be ready and willing to think biblically, to respond to the truth of your word, that we would be different from the world around us, who looks at every situation and and every opportunity is a way to, to be personally satisfied. But Lord, that we would come with hearts ready to love you and serve you. And to serve whatever calling you have placed in each of our lives. And know that there is plenty of satisfaction and joy to be had there. But only when we love you and serve you above all else. Lord, may we walk out of these doors today and take with us the reminder of your love, your grace, your mercy, the reminder of the victory that you have won as we respond with joy, proclaiming your sovereignty over our lives. And with that, with that, may we be satisfied in you and in you alone. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you. And in your great and awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, Please visit www.erieefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.